0: So, this is only my second time to preach on a weekend here at Life Church, and I have been assigned one of the most difficult and one of the most debated hot topic texts in all the Bible. So that should be exciting. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a world today in a time in which it's not proper to talk about um, relationships and gender and roles and sex and all of these things. And so we're going to talk about all of that this evening. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got a phone, you can pull up your Bible app and turn there as well. If you don't have a Bible whatsoever, the words will be on the screen on either side of me, but uh, we're moving from a section in Ephesians uh, from where Paul speaks to the Ephesian church about the necessity of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which I feel like is a fairly easy sermon to preach, to a discourse about relationships, specifically the relationship between a man and a woman in the context of and the confines of marriage. And, and so, as you're turning there, kind of let me just set the, the, the context, let me set the scene, because uh, where Paul is writing this portion of his letter to, uh, he's writing it to a culture in, in which they would be receiving and reading through what he's saying, and it would be a radical departure from the culture and, and from what was normal in Paul's time. See, this is first century culture, meaning uh, that the marriages were, were arranged, and, and the husband uh, uh, of a family bought the wife of another family. Literally bought, purchased. There, there was not uh, a love at first sight or a growing in love. There was a, wow, I like her, I like her family pulled out his wallet, paid for the wife, let's go home. She was literally a possession. That was the the relationship dynamic back in the first century. And, And men had a dictatorial voice in any kind of relationship. For husbands in first century marriage, they could divorce their wives for pretty much any reason whatsoever. All they had to do was pay back the dowry money that they, that they gave in, in the beginning. So if money wasn't an option, if they were just tired of their wife one week or didn't like what she cooked for dinner two, week, two nights in a row, then, then he, he could trade her off. And then for the rest of her life, she would struggle because her identity was torn from her while her husband could go do something, something else, get a different wife, and then dispose of her a few weeks later. It's to this type of society that our, our passage arrives. So, so I want you to try to hear it as though you were, you were living in that culture that I just described. And then you're hearing Paul's words, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, what's the word? Okay, so no one, no one wants to say that word? Huh? I just see men just looking straight forward, and women are already angry, so that, this, is a good, this is a good way to start this message. Uh, I'll say it for you. Wives, submit. Submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. So it could be really easy to check out right here. I'm asking that you just stay with me for just a little bit longer. Let's continue reading and see what husbands are then called to do. Verse 25, husbands love your wives. Now our English, our English language doesn't do justice to what God is actually calling a man to do for his wife right here because we only have that one word, love. It's a great word, but it means a million different things because men love their wives, but they also love the Packers. And and I hope that that's not the same kind of affection that he has for both of those, those different things. For some of you, don't, I mean, just let's move forward. We, we can't be talking about the same thing. A man loves his dog, but he also loves his wife. Very, very different there. A man loves, loves you know, Taco Bell, but you, you see, you, when you get into this word love, we've only got one word. They had multiple words back here. Paul is using this word to show us what kind of love he is requiring of husbands, and he continues, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her to make her holy out of reverence for Christ. So for for wives during this time, hearing this would have been liberating, would have been a breath of fresh air to be able to hear these things that she is valued, that she is treasured, that that her husband should actually love her. Those are things that were new in this culture. I know it's hard to wrap your mind around. So for women of this time, that was encouraging, it was liberating. For men of this time, it was either humiliating or humbling. So if you're married in this room uh, this evening, it, it should be very, very easy to understand and drive application from this, these passages that we just read. If you're not married, if, you, if you're single or, or divorced or engaged or somewhere in between, you cannot check out from this sermon. There is a lot to learn about the attitude and heart and motive that is applied to any kind of relationship. And more importantly, what we're going to get to, if you'll just hang with me, there is a greater message, a deeper message that is being taught here about love. So I want to do this. As Paul did, I want us to start by speaking to wives, by speaking to women, and and then afterwards we'll, we'll speak to the men. I think that covers everybody thanks. So, so first, uh, in regards to how a woman should, regardless of, of her marital status currently, this is what scripture asks you to do in regards to the man that you are married to, will marry someday. Those are the two, character, the, the two, the two options there. All right, so the first one, The first characteristic, the first quality that a a wife should display towards her husband is that of respect. It's respect. You'll find this in the final verse of this chapter. There is is nothing more important to a man than respect. Nine times out of ten when a man is angry or he's in, in a corner pouting or he's coming and retaliating, it's because he felt disrespected a man who feels disrespected tends to react in ways that are ungodly and please understand me this is no excuse for the man's behavior but there are there are ways and there's something that you can do ladies to quickly win the heart of man and that is to show him and to give him and to grant him respect And it does not mean that you have to agree with everything that he says or every decision that he is making. Nevertheless, you can respect him intellectually, emotionally, even physically. And that doesn't mean that, and that that doesn't, isn't just about sex. That's about other things too. Like, uh, for example... When when I first got married to Kara, uh, she she had frail, dainty hands. They're a lot stronger now. But she, uh, my back was tense one day uh, after work, and she was massaging my back, just a a demonstration of her love for me. And and she was she was massaging probably about 30 minutes. She, She wasn't complaining, wasn't whining, wasn't saying, "Can I please stop now?" She was just she was doing that for my benefit. Afterwards. We looked at her hands and she had rubbed her knuckles raw and, and her arms were completely sore and she, she, was, she was in pain. But she, she did that because she loved me. Not that she had to. I didn't coerce her. I didn't say, you know, do this or else. She decided that she would do that because she wanted to demonstrate her respect towards me. That's physically. There are many different ways to demonstrate respect verbally verbally. Ladies, you know that with your words, you can destroy your husband. Because there have been moments, I'm willing to guess, there have been instances, there have been situations where you have said something that you knew could crush him, and it did. But my hope is that you would understand that with those same words that can completely destroy a man, you can use different words to build up, to repair, to breathe life into, to encourage your husband. You, with your words and with your actions, can make him a far better man than he could ever be without your respect. The second thing that the Bible would ask you to do is to love your husband by submitting to his gentle, selfless leadership. There's a lot of pushback on this verse in particular. And and I don't think that it is because it Just says what it says i don 't think that 's where the the pushback is from a lot of ladies, from a lot of women i don 't think that that really internally that a lot of women struggle even with the word submission. I think it 's got a bad rap in our day, but I think the the, the negative stereotype comes from. Uh, many times where men have tried to quote this themselves or they have used this this quotation in, in a way to gain position or to win an argument, and that has never worked well. I've never seen it where a man is like, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me, and then she says, yes, sir, and they move on happily ever after. That never happens. If it's happened in your household, you live in a different one than mine. I've never tried to quote that. I, I wouldn't be here before you today if I tried to quote that to my wife in the middle uh, of an argument. Uh, for any man that were to quote this verse or use this verse out of context, or with a demeaning, uh, with a d- domina- domineering demeanor, I wish that I could ask him to look back at the verse and tell me what the first word in that verse is. Would you help me with that? Look at verse 22. What's the first word in that sentence? Good, I'm glad you've got your Bibles. The first word, would you put the the scripture back on verse 22 or or right around there? The, The first word in verse 22 that is coming up on the screen now... is wives. Thank you. It is, it is wives. We'll get there eventually. The verse starts with the word wives. So sir, Paul wasn't talking to you. There are other verses in the Bible that begin with the word husbands. There are other verses in the Bible that begin with the word men you should probably focus on those that are written to you and let your wife focus on those that are written to her. And this is one that is written to her. Men, this verse is not for you. And this verse, let me just say right here, this verse does not mean that all women should be in submission to men in general. It's not what this verse means. If you read it in context as we just did, this verse means that wives let your man lead the home one of the greatest ways that you can respect your husband is by letting him lead well he doesn't like he, he doesn't like to lead that's not his he's not interested in leading well well there is a there's a way to help him lead there's a way to encourage him and to pray for him and to create opportunities and to make suggestions that allow your husband to lead And when he boldly steps out and he finally makes a decision that you could have made months ago, follow him and support him. This is what submission is. It's not some negative domineering and controlling type relationship. It's also not blind obedience that just in every situation says, yes, sir, whatever you want, sir. That's not what submission is. It's loving your husband well enough to empower him to lead and to trust him when he finally does. If you follow him with the right heart and the right attitude, if you follow your husband, I I do not think God will judge you when a decision is made poorly or direction is made improperly. I think God will judge your husband on that one. I think God will judge you based on whether or not you obeyed what God commanded of you and whether or not you submitted to your husband. I know this isn't popular uh, to to talk about today and there might be many of you that are offended right now. Well, just wait until we get to what the Bible and the scriptures require of the husband then we'll, the Bible is equal offender. I mean, we'll we'll offend everybody before you leave here today. That's fine. The third and final thing that I want to address from our text in regards to how the wife is to uh, respond to her husband is through this soul devotion. And I don't think any of us disagree with this one. That's why I brought it around to the end, you know, sandwich. So we started with one we agree with, started one, ended with one we agree with, stuck submission in the middle. Uh, And let me just point out, Uh, this entire passage is sandwiched by mutual submission. Read the very first verse in that section. It says, submit to one another. At the end, it says, submit to one another. This isn't just one submitting to the other, but in a relationship, it's, it, this is how it works itself out in a healthy, biblical, godly marriage. Let's move on to soul devotion. Titus chapter two tells women to be self-controlled and pure and to be subject to their husbands alone. Proverbs 31 describes a kind of godly woman that never harms or hurts her man. She doesn't emasculate him. She doesn't flirt with other men. That's not who she is. She is steadfast about her husband and about no other. This doesn't mean that you don't have friends. This doesn't mean that you don't have other guy friends. But this does mean that your husband is the one that you confide in. This means that your husband is the one that you go to after a bad day. This means that your husband is the one that you go to after a good day This means that that he is your refuge and he is your place of security. He's not your God, but he is your husband. And you are solely devoted to him and to him alone. Now, if you love your husband like this, the Bible says in our passage says that you will be loving him in a way that both honors your husband and honors your God. And then Paul transitions us from talking to the woman to talking to the man. Let me just say before we step into the man, the reason why I believe that every single time the Bible talks about men and women and the roles of marriage that he always speaks to the the wives first is because I believe that no man can successfully lead his home or his wife if his wife determines within her heart that she will be unleadable if she resolutely determines that she is not going to be led by her husband no matter the cost, then the man is never going to be able to successfully do what the Bible commands him to and lead. But when she does these things that we just discussed, and the man then steps forward and becomes the man that God has called him to be and loves in the way that God calls him to love, that is a biblical godly marriage. The first characteristic, the first quality that that God, through Paul, calls upon the man to, to display is sacrificial love. Men, your first priority in marriage is to love your wife unto the point of death. So if I recall, in, in, in the wife's situation, she was never called to lay down her life or die for the sake of her husband, but that is the very first thing that it is called upon a man to do. It is to serve your wife, to lay down your pride and preference and, and, and to, to serve her unto the point of death. Well, I thought that she was the one that was supposed to submit to me. She is supposed to submit to you, but she's supposed to submit to your unyielding, unending, selfless service to her. What this means is this. You don't love her in order to, in order to get a response back from her. You don't express your love to her so that she does the dishes. You don't express your love to her so that she'll watch the kids. You don't express your love to her so that you can get sex. You love her because Christ first loved you, period. That's the end. You love her because you were first loved. Furthermore, sacrificial love means that you take initiative. That's a key word that I would write down. Men, you should be taking notes. If you're sitting anywhere near your wife or anywhere near a girl you're trying to impress, it would be very impressive if, if you've got three pages front and back of notes today. It, you need to be the first one down to the altars on your knees. If you're single looking for a spouse, that's the way to get it. Initiative that means that you apologize first. (laughs) Even when you think that you are 99% in the right and she is, oh no, yeah, and she is 1% in the right, you're 1% in the wrong, 99% in the right, that you still apologize first and never go about it the percentage way. I don't think that would ever work. Yeah, I don't think that you presenting the percentages to her would work. But, but, I, but I do think that no matter what, you are the one that comes and apologizes first. That you, that you come and that you say, I'm sorry, you don't do it in this way. I, I, honey, I want to apologize to you. I'm sorry that I behaved in the way that I did. I, I don't want to be that kind of husband. Now, is there anything that you want to say to me? <laughs> That's not the way that you go about trying to make an apology. <laughs> that, that, that's not a that's not an accurate godly biblical kind of kind of uh, apology. You, the, initiative means that you come to her first, and, and that you and that you apologize first. Initiative also means that you're the first one on your knees in prayer, and you're the first one that opens up the Bible in your household. Unfortunately, in our culture today, it is the other way around. The woman is the one that is leading spiritually, if being able to lead it all, because the husband, for whatever reason—I mean, a multitude of reasons has never been equipped, has never been trained, has never been encouraged to lead in this way. The biblical godly husband is the first to pray, is the first to open up their Bible, and this happens in so many different kinds of ways. This looks different from home to home. Here's the thing. I married Kara, and Kara is a unique individual. You married your wife, and she is a unique individual. I know some guys who they end their night by saying to their wife, let's get the Bible, let's go, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 tonight. Kara does not want me to do that It would go really poorly if I said Babe, grab your Bible I'm, I'm not planning on going long tonight But I do have three points that I need to get through That's, that's not going to go over well in our home It happens in a, in, a, in a different way But as husbands, we are to lay down our preference And our pride and our priority In order to love our wives In the way that God intends That is sacrificial love But that's not the only thing that men are required to do They are also called to gentle care. In verse 26, it tells the husband to make his wife holy by washing her with water through the word. That's that's a unique series of words there, a unique sentence. To wash her with water through the word. Now, this is not a fire hose, and this is not a spray bottle. This is not trying to attack her with scripture to try to get her to behave. This is gentle care. When everything is going well, gentle care. When everything is on fire, gentle care. The godly man is gentle with his wife regardless of situation and he protects her. He guards her heart. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says that the husband is head, to his head of his wife. That does not mean that he is, he is this kind of macho man, overbearing, in control, kind of domineering uh, type of character, but he is some gentle and humble man who covers her. All this means is that he is the husband that, that has the role of provider and protector. He's the role of guardian and comforter for his wife. A woman should always feel secure under the gentle care of her husband. Never should she feel scared. Never should she feel alone. Never should she feel like she is in danger because she has a husband who cares for her. And the third and final thing that that our passage speaks to the heart of a man is that he is a passionate pursuer of his wife. I mean, have, have you read... The Bible. In fact, have you read a book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon? If not, find it right now, put a bookmark there and check it out tonight. Uh, Because uh, it's got some uh, outdated pickup lines for sure, but the message is clear. The the message is clear. Husbands should romance their wives. And don't give me, well, that's not the way that I'm wired. I, I don't think that way. Listen, God gave you Google. Use it. Seriously, all you have to do is pull up Google, type in how to be romantic, and you get a million hits. Just spend an afternoon going through those links and get some ideas that you never thought of before. It's as simple as that. Listen, it's your job to be the as the man of the home to passionately pursue your wife. If you don't fulfill that role, someone else will try to. This isn't difficult, and this doesn't have to be costly. One of, the, one of the things that Kara enjoys most in regards to a date night is if we are simply getting in our pajamas, brewing coffee, and then watching a movie. That doesn't cost much of anything. And so if I take initiative and if I'm the one that says, hey, listen, uh, the, the coffee's brewing. Uh, I've got our pajamas laid out. I've got an old black and white movie that we're going to watch. I don't care about black and white movies, but my wife loves black and white old movies. If they don't have words, she's good with that. If it's in a different language, she's good with that. And, and if I'm willing to watch that with her and stay awake through the duration of the movie, then that does something for my wife. It doesn't have to be costly. It doesn't even have to be something that you do. It doesn't have to be an event. It can be a spoken word. When's the last time that you've told your wife that she's beautiful? Women need to hear that. Women like to hear that. And someone thinks your wife is beautiful and how tragic would it be if the only time she ever hears that is from someone else that is not her husband? It is both your responsibility and should be your delight to date your wife. The pursuit doesn't end when there is a ring on her finger and she has said yes. That is when the pursuit begins. And it is all because of these things, the the respect and the submission and the devotion a woman feels towards a man and the love, care, and pursuit that overtakes a man for his woman. It is, in verse 31, for this reason a man leaves his father and mother to be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a reference all the way back to the book of Genesis. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So this is the deeper message that we're going for here. This, is, this passage is not first and foremost about marriage. This passage is first and foremost about love. Six times in this sh- short section of uh, verses, the word love is used. That is what this section is about. It is not just about marriage. It's used as an analogy. It's used as a metaphor. Paul wanted to paint a picture. Have you ever been to a wedding before? The, the majority of us have been to a wedding before. I've been to a wedding in many different facets. I've sat in the congregation. I've been one of the groomsmen. And I've been the pastor that has performed the wedding. I've never been uh, on, on the other side. And so I've been able to see a wedding ceremony from all different perspectives. One of the most breathtaking moments of any wedding is when the back doors open. And the music shifts, and everyone stands to attention as for the first time the bride is presented. And she steps in those doors in her best, and you can see that just from her smile, from her posture, from her demeanor, she's glowing. She's, she's glowing not only uh, with happiness for the moment, but with anticipation for the future. but as the the speaker, the pastor, the reverend, I often do something that's slightly different than most people. I I do look back and I see the bride and all of her glory, but as everyone is standing attention and all eyes are on her, I often like to look to my left. Because generally on my left is where the groom is standing. And I like to watch as for the very first time he sees He sees his bride. He sees the one that he's now devoting and giving his heart to. And I wish that you could see the look on his face as he sees her and as he's amazed at what she looks at. But you can see the hope and the expectation and the desire that he has for his wife. This is the kind of picture that Paul is trying to paint for us here in this text. This is what Paul wants us to see in regards to the way that Jesus loves and looks at his bride. This is what the apostle Paul wants us to see as we hear and read this text. He's painting a picture that shows us Jesus' love for his church by comparing it to a groom's love for his bride. And for the ladies here, that's fairly easy to accept because for most of you, not all, but for most of you, as a young child, you dreamed of the day that you would be married and so you wore the dress and you looked in the mirror and you acted like you were holding flowers walking down the aisle. You imagined that day, but for most men in this room tonight, when the Bible speaks of you as a bride, you get uncomfortable very quickly because you you can't picture yourself in a wedding dress there would need to be a lot of alterations that would be made to, to make you fit in a dress of that caliber. But thankfully, anytime the Bible speaks of a groom and the bride, it speaks of the bride as the church and not of you as, you, uh, as an individual. So you as a Christian, you're included in that picture, but you alone, sir, do not have to anytime soon picture yourself in a veil and train, Thankfully but you must see and feel and taste this unyielding, unending, relentless, timeless, tireless love that Jesus has for you. And we do so by looking back at these characteristics and these qualities. So as we look at the characteristics and the qualities of the three of the bride, we see our duty and our responsibility as the bride of Christ unto him. We see that we are to respect our Savior, recognizing him for who he is and what he's accomplished for us through his life, resurrection, and death. We are to submit to him, and we are to, not out of compulsion, but out of eagerness and desire, even when we disagree, we submit. And then we are to be solely devoted to our Lord and Savior, not turning to the right or to the left, but eyes set solely on him. And as we do so, Jesus will display towards us his sacrificial love. Not only as he hung on the cross for our sins, but daily he shows and demonstrates his sacrificial love for you as he withholds his wrath and unleashes his grace and mercy out over your life time and time and time again. And he always treats us with the utmost gentle care always lovingly rebuking us when we do wrong or when we wander, and always wooing us back to his side, always willing to forgive us, never failing to protect us. He cares for us. And then through passionate pursuit, long before you ever called on his name, he called on yours. Long before you ever turned his direction, Jesus turned towards you. While he was hanging on the cross, he thought of your name. There is no greater love story in all of history than this, than the one that we read about here in scripture and the one that we're living out today. No man will ever love a woman and no woman will ever love a man more than Jesus Christ loved and loves you. And so today he's standing before you saying, will you accept and will you receive my love? And then if you do, what will you do with it? Will you love me in return and will you love others in the same way that I have loved you? And so our response tonight is multifaceted as we come to a close. Some of you have fallen short as husbands. And this would be a great opportunity for you tonight to repent not only before God, but to go to your wife before you get home, before you leave this building. Say, I'm sorry. I mean, there's a whole list of things that I've done that I haven't even been able to compile yet, but I'm sorry for not being the husband to you that God has called me to be. That's what sacrificial love is. Wives, you may need to acknowledge that instead of encouraging him with your words, you have been wounding your spouse. Before you leave here tonight, you get that right. Those of you that are unmarried in this room, I pray that you would consider these things and begin working on becoming a man or a woman that God has called you to be and that honors your future spouse. For everyone, my hope is that you would leave here tonight overwhelmed by the unbridled love that Jesus has for you. That, that you would fill it deep in your soul, and that it would radically shape the way that you love both God and others. And I'll leave you with one of the most iconic and most famous verses in all of Scripture that you you probably know by heart: "For God so loved the world, that He gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in Him shall not perish." He shall have eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you for demonstrating your true love for us. That while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die in our place. You sent your son to be our Savior. God, I pray that you would teach us today to love like you, that you would forgive us where we fell, fall short, you would forgive us when we fail that you would strengthen us when we're weak. God, I pray that in this service you would heal marriages. God, that you would begin to reveal patterns that have or that will cause future damage and that you would correct them. God, that you would help us to be the men that you have called us to be, that you would help the women to be the women that you have called them to be that none of us would shy away from the roles and the responsibilities that you have in store for us, but that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to love one another as Christ has loved us. God, I pray that in this moment, you would save those that are far from you and that they would respond to you in your generous love. That we would all find and sense and understand your love greater greater as we leave here today than we did when we came in. May that change our lives forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.